0: Well, I've got a question for you. Who here hates making decisions? You just hate making decisions. I mean, you're probably not sure whether to put your hand up at the moment. like, should I, like, uh, I don't know. There's a a confident non-decision maker at the back. Slightly ironic. so many of us hate making decisions. I was at a party last night, and I got given the, the burden slash, slash blessing of being the, the Spotify DJ to try and get the party started a little bit. And if you've ever been in that position, you'll know it's a little bit stressful. And you always have those people coming up to you and kind of tapping you on the shoulder and like, hey, mate, this song is, is killing the vibes. You need to switch it. You need to mix it up. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I can see people walking up, but what should I, what should I put on? Give me something. They're like... I don't know, just pick any, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, go, whatever, whatever you think. I'm like, that's not helpful. That's not a decision. And whether it's music on a dance floor or what we want to eat when we go out, some of us are terrible at making decisions. Now, on average, each of us makes about 35,000 decisions every day, constantly having to make decisions. And in the busyness of life, We rarely take the time to make the decisions about the big questions, the big things that are going on. A couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with a friend of mine, and we kind of got into a bit of a deep and meaningful conversation, and she was saying, you know, look, it's obvious that I need to think through some of these big things. I'm just so busy with with work and then just commuting and just in the evenings, I don't feel like I've got the the mind space to think about this. stuff. I, I just wish I could take a week off and just reflect on everything in my life. And that's why tonight is so amazing. Tonight gives you a moment to pause in the busyness of life, to take a step back and to take stock of what's going on. Have you ever noticed how often some of the most influential and significant concepts and ideas and writings have been written when people are in prison? Have you ever noticed that? It's so like Nelson Mandela on Robben Island or Martin Luther King Jr. On, uh, in prison in Birmingham, Alabama. And I think one of the real reasons for that is for those guys, that's a moment for them to, without the distractions, being forced into a moment where you have to pause and you have to step back and think about life. And the writings there, the person we're going to look at tonight, are that of a person called the Apostle Paul. And Paul was writing in around 62 AD. He was imprisoned in a Roman prison. He's on death row awaiting his fate to see if he'll be released or executed. And Paul is one of the most influential figures, not just in that time, but in the many subsequent years since. His writings and his life have shaped history And so he's something that's worth taking a bit of time to look at. And that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks and in the weeks to come. We're looking at his letter to the church in Philippi. Now, if your geography of Macedonia isn't great, Philippi is in Macedonia. And in this section of the letter called the book of Philippians, it's a really, really significant moment in what Paul's wanting to say. Because in it, he addresses the two most important questions in life. And what are they? What are the two most important questions in life? What's the meaning of life? And what happens when I die? Two most important questions in life. Because what you decide about those two questions will impact every area of your life. Not just for now, but potentially for eternity. In fairness, I didn't always think that way. You might think, really? Hey, I didn't always think that way. For myself, I grew up believing what I was brought up to believe. I never really questioned it. I just kind of thought, you know, this is what people believe. And like most of us, I just went along with it. And that all changed for me about 10 years ago when I was on a 13-hour overnight bus ride in Thailand. Now, who here knows? Bus rides at the best of time aren't the best, but 13 hours in a sweaty, smelly bus in Thailand wasn't the best. Now, it, it would have been bad enough... Just by itself. But on top of that, the air conditioning unit above my head was broken and was dripping ice cold water onto my forehead the whole time on this packed bus, so I couldn't move seats. And that would have been the worst part had it not been for the driver. And I don't know if this guy had a death wish, but it was genuinely the craziest driving I've ever seen. We're going through mountain roads, no street lights. Around these bendy roads on the edge of a mountain, and he is overtaking cars. When I say cars, I don't mean one at a time, as in multiple cars at once. And I genuinely feared for my life. The whole bus was shaking. It was mad. And actually, I remember a few months later reading a news article about some tourists who'd been killed on that very road in a bus just like the one I was on. So I was genuinely fearing for my life. And whilst it was a terrifying experience... It was one of the most significant things that ever happened to me. Because in that moment, as I genuinely thought, what if this is the last day I ever live? I took a step back from my life and thought, what am I living for? And I had this amazing moment of clarity where I realized it doesn't matter if I end up homeless or never married or in love or without any money or possessions to my name. Those things are irrelevant if I never answer the questions of what is the meaning of life and what happens when I die. If I don't have the answers to those questions, the rest of it is absolutely meaningless. It was one of the most significant things that ever happened for me in my life. And while we might prefer to kind of not talk about death. It's one of those taboo subjects, isn't it, in our culture? It might be a bit easier if we kind of brushed it under the carpet. What Paul is saying to us in this letter we're about to read is that how you view death affects how you live your life. Because our purpose is defined by a destination. See, where you're going completely changes the journey. So we're going to read what Paul has to say. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 1. The words will be up on the screen. And we're going to read, starting partway through, partway through, verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with the full courage, now is always... Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, if I'm to stay alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, to stay alive, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now there's a lot going on in that short passage. But it's such an interesting concept that Paul is presenting to us. Paul is giving us this kind of unique insight into this internal monologue that's going on in his head, this decision that he's trying to make. He's saying, is it better for me to live or is it better for me to die? Now, Paul's clearly not suicidal. When we read what he said, he's seeing the importance of life. He's talking about: is it better if I I don't get executed or, or if I end up staying alive? Which is better? And what Paul is revealing to us in our situation is that the secret of understanding life is understanding death. And his perspective is so different from ours. We are terrified of death statistically 70% of the UK have a fear of death a fear of death for many that's a crippling fear perhaps that's the case for you I've, I've met people myself even recently absolutely crippling fear for others it's an anxiety for others for many we just kind of ignore it a little bit we just don't talk about we just numb to it pretend that it's not happening especially if we're young but Paul doesn't let us get off that easy he hits us with those two questions what is the meaning of life, and what happens when I die? And Paul says, what's his answer? To live is all about Jesus Christ. Knowing the love of Jesus and showing it to others. Paul's answer, again, is very different than how many people in our society would answer, right? I mean, how would people in our society answer that that question, that phrase, to live is? For many people, to live is money to live is fame, to live is sex, to live is romance, to live is partying, to live is entertainment and having fun, to live is being comfortable. How's that been working out? Is it fulfilling us? You don't have to look too far to find out the answer. We live in a society... That's more medicated and in debt and addicted and lonely than ever. Because our answers aren't working. And Paul says he's found the secret. He's found the answer. Now, this was a guy who had things that, by our worldly understandings, had reached it. You know what I mean? He he had the money. He had the respect of people. He had succeeded... In people's eyes. Yet he said none of that meant anything. He was willing to give it all up. To the extent where he didn't just give up his freedom and be put in jail. But if you read to the end and know about Paul's life. He ends up being beheaded. And Paul says there's something that is worth giving everything for. And what is it? He says... I've met with Jesus. I've experienced Jesus. He's real. He's who he said he is. You know, he said he was God and he is. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, it doesn't just affect how you live your life, but how you feel about death and what happens after. Paul finally saw that he wasn't a good person despite what he thought about himself his whole life and despite what everyone else would have thought about him, he realized that he was far from God just like all of us are. And he discovered the truth that Jesus had died for him, that Jesus had wiped the record clean from his life, paying the punishment for the wrong things that he'd done. And now he had a purpose and a future, a reason to live and a hope beyond the grave. But Paul, it changed everything. It gave him a confidence that when his fleeting life ended, whether it was at the hands of a Roman executioner or while he was old and gray in his bed, he knew that one day he would breathe his last, and he'd wake up face to face with Jesus. He had that confidence. And when you discover the secret like Paul, when you experience what he experienced, something happens that... Is a bit like a parable that Jesus told. Jesus tells a parable of a man who found a treasure in a field. And it says when he found this treasure, he went and joyfully sold everything he had. He delighted in just, hey, yeah, yeah, take it, just whatever I can get for it. He sold everything he had to buy that field. And the message of Philippians, the message of the treasure in the field, the message of of the gospel is that Jesus is worth everything and he changes everything because death isn't the end. So this life isn't all that there is. And one day, you and I will see him face to face. in what the Bible calls paradise, heaven, no more suffering or that pain you know, that will be gone. The loss and loneliness, no more. And the key thing, as Paul says, is that you get to be with Christ. Now, what will that be like, to be with Christ? Now, let's let's be real. That's kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around because none of us have ever been with a perfect and perfectly loving person. So we don't know what that is kind of exactly going to look like. But what we do know Is that whenever you go to someone's home, the host of that house completely affects the mood and the atmosphere of that home. And so when you get to be at home with God in the presence of Jesus, you're in the presence of the one who invented laughter. You're in the presence of the one who invented joy and adventure and excitement and peace. Every emotion you can ever imagine amplified untainted not held back the 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 joy that you experience that you always have that niggling thing of well yeah it's going to come to an end the the holiday's going to end that that person's going to eventually go perhaps no feeling of when will it end a peace without wondering well what what something snatches it away that's what we have waiting for us and just imagine as as amazing it will be that's not even close in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You can probably imagine some pretty amazing things that heaven will be like, and you won't even come close. That's what Paul says, those who love Jesus have waiting for them. And so, to die is gain, because you get to be with Jesus, So again, we have to come back to these two questions. What is the meaning of life and what happens when you die? If to live is gain, so Paul's saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, if to live is gain and there's no real meaning, what what does that look like? Well, invest in now. Spend all your attention on the years you have on this earth to invest in every day that you have. Focus on making as much money as possible. Acquire as much stuff as you can and strive to have a comfortable life filled with entertainment. Follow your own moral compass and do what you think feels right to you, no matter what anyone else or God thinks. Do all you can, if to live is gain, do all you can to extend your life by as many days as you can because this life is all there is, and death will be the end. Be ruthlessly safe and relentlessly careful to avoid any potential risk. Serve others and give to the poor, enough so that you feel good, but not so much that it impinges on your own comfort. Don't waste time with church, unless it improves your social life. But then if it doesn't or it gets boring or you find somewhere better to be, ditch it. If you have a respectable job, are physically attracted, are married with successful kids, have a nice house, good clothes, a decent car, then people will respect you and admire you. And those are the things that matter most. So give all your attention to that. And that's a picture of what the majority of lives in Sidcup would look like right now. We live in one of the most uh, affluent and comfortable, and from the outside, successful parts, not just of the UK, but the entire world. And the reason that it's not satisfying, and the reason that it's not something to be celebrated, is that all of these things are built on temporary and transient foundations, sinking sands. As author Francis Chan puts it this way, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. Man, that quote hits me. Because many of us are getting really good at doing things that have no eternal value. So what does it look like to live for things that last? Things that matter, things that have eternal value. What would it look like for you if to live is Christ and to die is gain? Well, Jesus talks about it this way. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying, don't store up treasure here on earth but store up treasure in heaven where it will last. Don't spend all your time trying to get stuff that will rust and break or fame and popularity that will vanish or things and possessions that one day, that fancy car, that huge house, those nice clothes that eventually will end up as dust. Focus your time, money, and attention on things that will last forever. Make a difference for eternity Jesus saying, invest in eternity. Paul says, a life that's investing in eternity, looking back at those verses, is all about showing the love of Jesus to others. He says, the reason that it's better to live than to die and just be with Jesus. is not for his own benefit. He's not saying, hey, uh, I'd love to live just for a few more years because I still haven't been married or, you know, I still want to have sex one day or, you know, I've heard Thailand's amazing. I've kind of done a little bit of around Israel, but I just haven't been able to afford the plane ticket yet and I'm happy to die eventually, but let me just tick off my bucket list and then I'm ready to go. He says the reason that he wants to stay alive isn't for him, but for others, to serve and bless them. It's a completely upside-down mindset. He says, uh, it is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. When to live is Christ, your entire perspective is flipped, flipped upside down. It's no longer about you and your popularity or fame or platform, but how you can bless and serve others. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, what happens? You give generously because you know that you can't take your money with you. But you can invest in things that will last. You can invest in making a difference in the advance of the gospel and helping the needy. When to live is Christ and die is gain, you know that the death of a follower of Jesus is sad because you miss them. But that is not the end. There's this feeling of rejoicing. It's a weird moment because you're you're devastated on one hand, but on the other, you're so grateful that that person lived for Christ and now for them to die is gain. And one day, you will see them again. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, you invest in relationships, you build community. You befriend the lonely. You spend time with people who aren't just like you and easy to get on with, but people who are different or sometimes difficult. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, you do a job that doesn't consume all of your time and attention, but gives you the opportunity to share love and the message of Jesus with others, with your colleagues, with your friends and your family. And you know what? That could mean doing something that gets you less money. But what you will invest in is far more valuable. When to live is Christ and to die is gain, you stop comparing and competing with others and start celebrating their successes. Because life is no longer about you. It's about serving others. So it's not the jealousy or the, the backstabbing or wanting to get that opportunity that they had. There's a celebration instead of a comparison. When you're living for Jesus, there's nothing more liberating or freeing or life giving. And to be clear, just like the the man who sold all that he had to buy that field, to get that treasure, following Jesus comes at a cost. Now, I could come up here and, and say to you, hey, you know, just come to Jesus, follow him, all your cares will leave and things will be great. It's so easy. But then you might be like, wait, 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 didn't the guy who wrote that letter end up in prison and then executed? And for each of us, Jesus says in Luke 14, we need to count the cost, to count the cost. Four years ago, my uh, mum asked my dad if he was willing to to move overseas to a developing nation uh, to share the gospel of Jesus and to to help the needy. And... uh, an opportunity came up for them to to move to uh, Moldova to volunteer there out in Eastern Europe, in Moldova, the poorest country in Europe. And my mum was well up for it, uh, but my dad was trying to work things out. Now, he believed to live is Christ, to die is gain, but he's like me and you. The thought of moving from your comfortable house in Somerset, where you've been for years and years and years, to the poorest country in Europe wasn't an easy overnight decision. So he prayed about it he thought about it, and then he wrote down his thought processes and actually emailed it to me and my brother so he'd understand how he got to the decision that they made. And these are the the words copied from the, the message that he sent to me and my brother. Here are some of the implications for me if we go overseas. It might mean I experience more illness and sickness, contract diseases like malaria. It would mean I... Don't have as much contact with my family as I would like. It would mean I don't get wonderful medical care. It might mean we use up some of our savings and have a less comfortable lifestyle in retirement. It would mean uprooting from my job and home, which I've had for 14 years. My dad counted the cost, but he knew that any cost was worth the prize. His colleagues hadn't heard, they were confused. They hadn't heard of anyone doing anything like that. They just they didn't get it. They were like, this makes no sense from a, a financial perspective, like your retirement, like what are you thinking? Like even relationally with your family or from a health perspective. But my parents were focusing on something different. Something far more valuable. And so they went four years ago, they flew out to Moldova, they've been there ever since and have no plans to return, and it's been hard, it's been difficult. My mum's had pneumonia a couple of times, they've had all sorts of health problems and uh, lots of challenges, but they now have no plans to return because they know it's worth it. Why? Because to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And when you get that, it changes everything. My dad ended that letter with a quote from Jim Elliot. He said this, Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's a lot in that one sentence. Let's read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Shortly after writing that, the 29-year-old Jim Elliot was speared to death by an Ecuadorian tribe who was trying to share the message of Jesus with. And not too long after, his wife, Elizabeth, went to that tribe to continue sharing the message of Jesus with them. And to say, you know, I've forgiven you for killing my husband, and Jesus can forgive you and give you eternal life. How does someone live like that? Because they've caught hold of something. This isn't some self-help talk. This isn't, oh, I just watched some TED video on the internet or read a good book. This is someone who's captured something. They've seen someone and they know that to live is Christ and so to die is gain. Why? Because you get to be with Christ. And while there's a cost, when you see what you gain in return, the price just seems insignificant. Following Jesus costs everything but what you get is far greater. Jesus says it this way in Mark 8, 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. We've seen some baptisms tonight. And the imagery that you witness tonight is someone dying to themselves, going down into that water as if they're going down into the grave. And then, as they're raised back up, it's saying, "I'm now alive, and you know, I'm not king of my life anymore. There's a new king of my life. I used to live as if life was gain, but now, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." And so, the question it leaves us is: is what's next? What are some of the next steps that you can take? It's all well and good hearing all this, or maybe being a bit emotionally stirred. What difference does all of this make in your life? For some, it's to ask for a new perspective. You say, yeah, yeah, I've read that verse. I could quote, actually, I learned it in Sunday school, maybe. To live is Christ, to die is gain. But if you were to step back and look at your life, the way you spend your money, the people you hang out with, the things that you're worried about all the time, the way you think about death, the things that get your most attention and love and focus wouldn't actually look that much different from someone who's living like life is gain. And it's a good moment tonight to pause, to step back, say, Jesus, I know the theory, but I want it in my heart. I really do want to say nothing is off limits for you. Call me to whatever country, whatever job, to give whatever. I want to give everything for you. Because you say for those who want to keep their life will lose it. But those who give up their life will save it. And that's how I want to live. So for you it might be for your whole life or maybe a specific area. That could be your next step. For others, the next step is answering those two questions. You know we weren't going to end without coming back to them. What is the meaning of life and what happens when I die? And tonight, there's people here who you right now, throughout tonight, there's been a stirring in your heart. You're not really sure kind of what is or what's been going on. But as you've heard the the songs and the stories and the testimonies and, and what Paul's been saying and Jesus is saying, you're like, you know what, I'm ready to make a decision. To follow Jesus. To take that first step towards him. I want to know the certainty of heaven. I want to know a purpose in my life. And you can receive that today. And you might say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. You know, I've, I've lived a certain way, John. If you, like, you're all kind of church folk, but if you knew my life, if you knew what I've done then, I mean, I've wasted so much. Hey, you can't change the past, but you can change today. You can change the rest of your life, and you can change your eternity. Don't waste another minute. Don't think, oh, you know, I'll kind of see what happens. No, no, no. The best decision I ever made, the best decision that Ross, Ross or T ever made was to take that first step of saying, I'm all in to follow Jesus. Today can be the most significant day of your life. So you thought this baptism was a significant thing. Yeah, it is. But the most significant thing that can happen in your life is to take that first step, saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. Hey, you don't have to clean up your acts. You don't have to become some religious or holy or spiritual person. Now, Jesus has done all the good stuff for you. The Bible says your first step is to believe in him and to receive his love. If you don't believe me, here's the words of the Bible. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise, that's a guarantee. And in a second, we're gonna pray a prayer together. And I invite you to pray that in your own heart, saying, Jesus, I wanna receive your eternal life, the purpose you have for me. And if you wanna do that, it's the best decision you've ever made. You can know the you can know the love of Jesus, the meaning of life, and the hope of heaven beyond death. Let's pray. And as we um, take this moment just to pause, go back to those two questions: What's the meaning of life, and what happens? When I die, and you know, if you're here and you, you know that there's, you've kind of been, you've been 90% in or 75% in, but there's just that one area, you know, I, I kind of I live for Christ, but not with that. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now, I just want to encourage you just in your own heart to give it to him right now. It's got to come from your heart, but you'll never regret it. There's nothing you give up in this life that you don't get far much more back in return. Come, Lord, now, I just ask that you would open people's minds, open people's hearts to whatever it is. Maybe it's your, your whole life, you know. I've been 85% would be good for me. I've been a lot less than that. I want to be all in today. Thank you, God. And if you, you're in that place, We're saying, you know, tonight I'm ready to answer those questions. I'm tired of living a life of uncertainty, of of running from God. I want to come to him tonight then. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just want to encourage you in your own heart to repeat it. Jesus, I want to live for you. I'm sorry for how I have lived. My back turned to you, away from you. And I want to give everything to you. I believe that you died for me. To pay the punishment for my sin. And you rose again to show that you've defeated death. And now I can have hope of heaven. I want to know your purpose for my life. I want to know your love. I can't do it on my own. But I thank you that you're with me. Help me to take this first step and the next and the next in this exciting adventure with you. Amen.